I was 22, about to graduate from college, and absolutely terrified. I just had the best four years of my life, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was about to leave behind amazing friends, my faith community, a world that over the course of four years had become a familiar home. Amidst all the smiling photos of graduation celebrations and parties, I felt a burning sense of fear. The single biggest question on my mind was how am I going to support myself financially? You see, I had done something really stupid. I'd signed my life away for a year-long internship to do campus ministry, and I had to fundraise my entire salary. I wasn't someone who grew up selling Girl Scout cookies or anything like that. There just isn't a salesman's bone in my body. I didn't even like buying things in stores and handing them the money. I just felt really uncomfortable with money. I couldn't fathom having to ask people for my paycheck. Some of it was due to personality, some of it due to cultural reasons, but I was conflicted about choosing to go down a path that required basically begging. I had always thought of myself as someone who was pretty smart, someone who would get a good job, a high paying job graduating from college. Growing up, it never crossed my mind that I wouldn't make a lot of money one day. But God has a funny way of showing up in our lives and changing our plans. After a life-changing encounter with God in college, here I was at graduation, wondering how I would ever raise thousands of dollars to support myself. This week, we're continuing in our sermon series, Life After College is Weird. Pastor George has been guiding us through the central questions that young adults are asking as they transition into adulthood. How should we approach work, friendships, dating, our careers? And today we'll be looking at money, financial stewardship. Over these last few years here at UPC, I've been walking alongside our young adult community with emerging adults in their 20s and 30s. I've had countless conversations about these topics. And I've realized that the core of all of these questions is the question of what makes a meaningful life. I don't know any young adult who doesn't want their life to count, a life that means something. I think we all want this. Whether we're 16 or 60, there's something inside of us telling us that we were meant for something great, for something that matters, for a life full of meaning and purpose. The good news for all of us is that God has designed us for purpose and is inviting us into an adventure. As we've been developing this sermon series, we've engaged a panel of young adults who are in college or just out of college. Let's take a moment to hear their voices as they share some of their fears and questions that they're asking as they think about their finances. My biggest um, fear going forward is being able to be financially independent. Uh, because my parents like pretty much expect me to be that after I graduate. I guess there's a lot of anxieties surrounding that. I'm prone to kind of like looking at what other people are doing and like everyone is doing like a different thing and like it makes me feel like there's, wow, I really have to figure out my own path forward and um, that can be scary as well. Big fear for college students, I don't know if they're represented in this group here, is I will never get out from under debt like that will haunt me and it will go with me. And actually it's funny, it's actually one of the only forms of debt you can have that's only yours. Even when you get married, 
your debt does not transfer to your spouse. It's still just yours. Only student debt is the one that does that. If you buy a home, it's like together. And if you buy a car, it's together. But student loans, that's yours forever. Not being wise in big decisions, um, whether that's, you know, for how, for housing, for um, job contracts, um, just kind of the important things that really matter, um, making the best out of them. The message I always grew up with was happiness comes from wealth and you gotta make as much as, of it as possible and you gotta be very frugal. And you know, both my parents are very, very frugal. You wouldn't be able to tell that they're wealthy and uh, you gotta give, but don't give too much. Uh, just give to the point where people don't think you're, you're a hero or something. <laughs> Young adults are asking questions around how to develop their values. They have fears around debt. They're wondering how to make big decisions in life and make wise choices. They're wondering how to be financially independent and have freedom and peace of mind. These are questions that we're all asking no matter what stage in our life. We always have choices to make around our finances, how we will spend, how much we will save, what it looks like to be generous. For any kids who are joining us today, this message is for you too. You might not have a job yet, but you have resources to steward. This means you have gifts and treasures that you get to decide how you want to use them. It's never too early to be generous and to recognize that your money and your toys and all your gifts come from God. When I was a kid, I remember finding a coin on the sidewalk and being so excited. My parents taught me to give generously back to God. So I started a practice of putting uh, coins in a jar when I'd find one on the ground. Then I'd save it and give it as an offering at church. And it made me so happy to be able to have something to give. When I gave coins back to God, I was sharing his blessing with me to others. Whether you're in elementary or middle school, or you have your first job in high school, God wants to say something to you today. For all of you parents raising young children, your kids are being formed by your attitudes and practices around money. My biggest surprise in this conversation with the young adult panel was how much they had to say about the values that they had learned about money from their parents. No matter how young your children are, they're learning about money and stewardship from you. And for all of us who are older, God may have an even more challenging message for us today. For those of us who have already resolved our worldview around money and have developed a framework that guides us in our decisions, it may be a little harder to be open to hearing God's voice around finances. The high level of anxiety around how to develop a stewardship framework that these young adults are expressing may feel different. Or it could be that finances are your highest level of stress and fear right now. You've been furloughed or lost your job, you don't know how you're going to pay for your rent and provide for your family in this next month. If you're experiencing a high level of anxiety around money, you are not alone. And God wants to meet you in your anxiety today. Jesus is inviting all of us to take a next step as we journey with him. Each of us this morning has the opportunity to dig deeper on what has formed our views on money, what desires and fears may be motivating us. This morning, we will walk alongside Paul as he guides Timothy in developing a kingdom mindset for how to view money. We will look at the steps that Paul lays out to guide Timothy to set him on a path that leads to life that really is life. Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy, and we will begin by reading chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul paints a picture of two ways of living. On one hand, godliness with contentment, and on the other, seeking riches and falling into temptation. Verses 6 through 10 speak to mindset. What is the desire at the center of our motivations? When we think about what makes money so attractive, at the root, we find desire. Desire for security, the desire to care for our families, desire to have food and water. These are often very basic necessities. Jesus teaches about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus makes it clear. Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. God is our creator and knows all of our needs and promises to provide for us. Desire in itself is not a bad thing, but desire becomes dangerous when we allow harmful desires to lead us astray. When we allow the gifts that God gives us as a means to become the ends. Money is a means for God to provide for us, but it is not the end. Ultimately, it is God who is our creator and sustainer. We need to put the kingdom and his righteousness first, all other things second. The particular harmful desire that's being addressed here is the love of money. If our minds are fixed on the love of money at our core— As we seek to satisfy that desire, we'll find more and more desires growing around us. No longer do we just want basic necessities, but we want luxury. We want our neighbors to be jealous. We want the status that comes with money. We want power, and we don't want to lose power once we get it. We become ensnared by our own desires. They no longer give us satisfaction, but lure us deeper and deeper down a path to discontentment and constant craving for more. James has a great deal to say about the danger of seeking wealth. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up, and the rich in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. 
for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they will wither away. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Each one of us is tempted when we're dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. James uses an imagery of birth. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. There's a natural process that happens when we allow our evil desires to get a foothold. The scary thing is that we can be going down this path and not even realize it. That there's something dangerous growing inside of us. We can be good people, look generous, be tithing to the church, whatever makes us look right externally. But we have to check ourselves. What's growing inside of us? What harmful desires are we allowing to grow? It can be so hard to see, particularly because we can be easily blinded to these evil desires because they are so common in our culture or even elevated as ideals. A quick test to see what may be growing inside of us is simply to ask, am I content? If I'm not content, what's missing? Lack of contentment may be a clue that we are letting harmful desires grow. If we aren't content, something isn't right. Lack of contentment should always be an indicator that it's time to check our spiritual health. If we aren't content about money when we have our basic necessities met, there may be a lie that we're believing that's shaping our mindset. We may be making an idol out of money, allowing the means to become the end. I want to note here that this cycle of allowing the love of money to feed our harmful desires truly is dangerous, not just to our individual spiritual health, but to the world. This isn't a sin that only impacts us. This is a sin that leads to death. When we look out and see all that's wrong in the world, we can wonder how did it ever get this way? How have we allowed racism to flourish? How come there's so much economic disparity? Why are the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer? We can be horrified by the injustice and greed that we see on a macro scale while simultaneously allowing greed to grow in ourselves on the micro scale. When we allow the love of money to feed our evil desires, we feed into a system of oppression that leads to the death of others. When I give in to my desire for always following the latest fashion trends and buying new things that I don't need, I participate in and support a system that leads to things like sweatshops and even human trafficking, low-cost labor overseas to make my inexpensive clothes that I'll throw out in a year. It leads to pollution of our environment as we churn out disposable clothing. My greed, our greed, leads to death. Literal death of humans, animals, and our planet. For those of us who are horrified by racist systems in place in our country, we need to ask ourselves, how has my love of money led me to turn a blind eye to racist systems 
that have benefited me? How has my desire to maintain my level of economic comfort caused me to inadvertently support systems that oppress others? If we say we aren't racist, but we are unwilling to even consider the concept of economic reparations, this might be a good moment to take a spiritual temperature check. What am I unwilling to give up? Once we have money or power, it can be extremely hard to let go. Our natural desire is always for more, never for less. So what then can we do? When we recognize that we need to shift our mindset and cut off the harmful desires, what can we do about it? Let's return to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The way out of this harmful cycle of desire is action. The love of money needs to be replaced by something else, and it requires action, not passivity. We are called to no longer pursue money, but to pursue righteousness. So action step number one, flee. Run away from all of this. Get as far as possible from the temptation. It can mean choosing to voluntarily give up something that we have been holding onto as an idol. This is the invitation that Jesus gives the young man who comes to him in Mark chapter 10. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. When Jesus meets the rich young man, he has compassion on him. He knows that money is an idol. His call to this young man is to give up everything he has to follow him. He's asking him to voluntarily give up the thing that is causing sin to grow in his life. We can often struggle with this story, wondering if Jesus is asking all of us to give up everything and become poor. This isn't what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus does not give this command to every person that he meets, but he invites this particular person to give up everything to follow him because he wants to offer him life that really is life. He knows what's holding him back from experiencing the life that Jesus has to offer. And he invites us to do the same. What is the idol that is preventing you from experiencing contentment? The idol that is leading to death? Jesus is calling us to let go, to flee. For anyone who has tried to lose weight or give up an unhealthy habit, you know that simply setting your mind to do something isn't enough. Because as soon as the temptation comes again, we will give right back in. Unless we found something new to replace our old actions or behaviors. I'll give you an example from my life. For all of you kids out there, I want to know, what's your favorite type of candy? Tell your mom or your dad or someone around you. 
Now, my favorite is peanut butter cups. I don't know what they put in them, but I just can't stop eating them. If I'm hungry and I have a bag in the house, I'll eat the whole bag. The last time I had a bag after Halloween, I couldn't control myself, and I ate them until I felt physically sick. And even then, I kind of wanted more. This is the cycle of desire. Finally, I reached a point where I felt so ill from eating them that I realized this had to stop. Has this ever happened to any of you kids or any of you adults? After that Halloween, I knew that I didn't have enough self-control if I had any in the house, so I made sure not to allow them back in. And to make sure that I didn't buy them again, I bought different snacks of other kinds to tide me over when I wanted something sweet. And since my friends all knew that I loved peanut butter cups, I had to tell them, please don't buy them for me. I had to flee and then get proactive to develop new habits to replace my old ones. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with eating a peanut butter cup every once in a while, so don't give me a hard time if you see me eating one after the sermon. But I know that peanut butter cups are a weakness for me, and I'll probably always have to be proactive and checking myself. The way to fill the vacuum is to get active. Paul encourages Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. These may sound like simple or even trite commands, but really pursuing love, gentleness, faith, that's a battle. It's a struggle. Paul describes it as fighting the good fight of faith. He commands Timothy to grab hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This is a call to be physically active, to train as if for a battle. Now let's hear from the experts. Here are some practices that our young adult panel have found to be helpful as they take action. I think it was Joyce who works at the Inn. I think she said something along the lines of the habits you build now when you have less will dictate how you live when you have more. And I think for me, that's been really huge in college because, um, you know, I'm I'm a young life leader and I spend time with other college students and things like that. And to be generous with the small pennies I have now will form habits that will indicate how I live later. And I think um, that's what Jesus is calling us to do is to be generous with our time, with our resources, and with our spaces and with our finances and things like that. The idea of giving sacrificially is just something that I don't know. It's like I have to get out of my comfort zone, get out of my own idea of security, right? And really trust that God's security is above all. And it's difficult, really. Um, like some of you know, I am a pretty new believer. And so it's something that I've had to like really dig deep and like try to determine like what's the heart behind why I'm doing things, you know? Like um, uh, I also don't want to be in the situation where I'm like giving, but not, but to get something out of it, right? Like the whole idea of like giving without expectation of something in return. Um, I don't want to have to give in order to like bolster my own reputation or like feel like I had I did something good. It should be just for God, right? It should just be like just pure. I want to give to people. Yeah, Jesus has definitely changed the way I view money and the way I handle money. Um, yeah, for starters, he he's made me a much more giving person in my finances. Um, he's also made me a lot less attached to my finances. Um, you know, it wasn't uncommon, like my freshman year, it's like, oh, I look at this or that, and like my, my happiness is kind of dependent on, you know, what's in the bank or what's in the stock market, something like that. 
Um, and I'd say the biggest um, way he's been able to change my relationship with um, finances has been through making me more grateful um, with what I have as opposed to like always just being discontent with what I don't have. I'm inspired by how these young adults are finding ways to take action and fight the good fight of faith in their own lives. These can be small things, such as making decisions to be generous, even with little. And fighting the good fight of faith could mean making big decisions, such as where we will work or what kind of job we will pursue. It could mean turning down a high-paying job for a company whose values do not align with kingdom values and taking a lower-paying job at a company whose mission you can fully support. I recently had a conversation with a young adult who's working in the banking industry. He has learned about the history of the power of banks in our society. He shared with me that he learned about how lending practices historically have discriminated against African Americans and how that has created even greater economic disparities. He's working for a bank that is actively working to change these practices, and he's proud to be working for a company that is taking steps towards creating a more just economic playing field for people of color. He's actively pursuing righteousness and is doing it through his work. God wants to take hold of all parts of our lives. He wants to use us in our jobs, in our families, in our friendships, in our dating relationships, in our neighborhoods. Because God is doing something. God is actively at work in bringing restoration in our world. And he's inviting us to come alongside and join with him. And this invitation is meant to bless us, and all those around us. Finally, Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay out treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that truly is life. The promise of God is that we can live life that really is life. The promise of God is treasure. Both Jesus and Paul use the word treasure to describe what we receive when we put the kingdom of God first. Jesus promises the rich young man, You will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Paul writes that by putting hope in God and then having the actions to match, then you will store up treasure. Jesus commands, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But the treasure that God is promising us is not money. It is not material wealth. It's important not to get this wrong. But God is promising to provide for us because he knows what we really need. We may think that we need many things to be secure, to be happy, to be powerful, to be important. But God knows what we really need to live lives of purpose, to become fully ourselves and live into our diverse callings. He knows what unique idols trip each one of us up. He knows what each of our peanut butter cups are. And he wants to set us free so that we can live life 
that really is life. I can look back now, a decade and a half since I graduated from college, and I can say with certainty that God has been faithful. As I look back at the fears of my 22-year-old self, I wish I could tell myself, just wait and see what God is going to do. I can look back now at that season of my life with great thankfulness. Over the course of that first year out of college, I had the amazing gift of getting to see God provide abundantly through the generosity of my church family, my friends, my relatives. I got to see God provide in a way that I could never have imagined because I took a risk that terrified me. I let go of my idol of independence and allowed myself to become dependent on God and my community. I let go of my idol of pursuing a career that would look impressive to the world and chose a path where I could live a life faithful to the calling that God had given me and would find a great sense of purpose and satisfaction. God is offering each one of us life that really is life, not just at 22, but at any age right now. If you're feeling stuck, discontent, chasing desires that can never be satisfied, living in fear of losing what you have. God has an invitation for you today. Come, follow me, and take hold of life that really is life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word for us today. God, we thank you for your promise of life, not just eternal life in the world to come, but that you offer us life right now. We confess the ways that we have made idols of money and the security that we think it will bring. We confess that we have allowed unhealthy desires to grow in our hearts. Give us the strength to flee all that is keeping us from you. Send us your spirit to equip us to do the active work of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. May we join you in building the kingdom of heaven here on earth. May we join you in bringing life where there has been death. We commit our finances and our financial practices to you. We commit our whole selves to you today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.